Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Known. Man, we're so excited to welcome you to this week because we have one of our best friends in the whole world on the podcast, and that is our friend. He's a pastor. His name is Greg Brooks. Man, it's he speaks into so many lives in our community, and he's a witness to so many people. Uh, on this week's episode, we sit down with Greg. We talk a little bit about porn addiction. We talk about finding and losing your identity, and we talk about what it takes to make boys into men. And so I think this is going to be a great episode for you guys. I think you're going to learn a lot. I know I learned a lot just listening back to it. And guys, before we jump in, if there's anyone who might be just as big of a fan of Cody Coffee as we are at Humble Daily, it's probably Greg. And so, hey, don't forget to use that code KNOWN at www.codycoffee.com at checkout and you'll get 25% off your next purchase of Cody Coffee. Man, we promise that you guys will love that. This podcast is aimed at giving you the feeling like, hey, pull up a chair, sit down with us. Let's have a real authentic conversation. Let's get to know each other in the way that Christ intended us to know each other. And then let's also drink a hot cup of coffee together because that's what friends do. But hey, guys, without further ado, I want to get you into the podcast. This is really going to speak to you. Greg is, like I said, he's a pastor, but he's a father. He's a mentor. Uh, He's a great husband to a beautiful wife, Bonnie. And so, man, we hope you'll just dive into this. We hope you'll learn. We hope you'll take notes. We hope you'll do whatever you got to do to really glean something from this. God bless you guys. Have a great week. <laughs> and, it was, and it was like a sissy back because I have like been changed my mind. Oh, man, that's funny. What's up, guys? We're here with Greg Brooks. Uh, he is a youth pastor in our hometown of Cody, Wyoming. Uh, very dear friend to all of ours. Uh, Caleb is also here again. So you heard him on Cole Sager's podcast. Um, he was also present on a couple of the other ones. But yeah, so if you hear a voice that sounds almost exactly like mine, that's Caleb. But yeah, Greg, so uh, why don't you just tell him a little bit about yourself for people who don't know who you are, because a lot of people know who you are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> big celebrity. World, world, yeah. As soon as you get rapping Cody, you just it's, you hit the big, big times. <laughs> um, yeah, so I am... Father to two kids, uh, husband to uh, Bonnie, who is the best thing in the world, and she is pregnant right now, which is also the best thing in the world yeah. with our third. And then um, I was born in Roswell, New Mexico. I am a legal resident of the United States, but I didn't come from another planet. I, <laughs> um, let's see. I did not grow up a Christian or in church whatsoever. I grew up on Tupac and Biggie. And then uh, we eventually landed in South Carolina, North Carolina. That's kind of like where, like the final years of high school, middle school, all that stuff was. And uh, worked at a Christian camp. Eventually, I didn't want to go into pastoral ministry, and God had other plans. And so I ended up being—I really didn't want to be a youth pastor. And then I became a youth pastor in Cody, Wyoming. Been doing it for five years. I love it, and I'm going to keep keep doing it until God has something else for me. But so yeah, I uh, I love all things fitness. Um, and when I've got time for it, I do it as much as I can. So that's about it. Absolutely. Well, um, Greg has one of the more unique stories of how he got into ministry, um, specifically this job, this specific job. Oh, yeah. Um, how he got hired. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Sure. So, uh, again, like I said, I was working at a Christian camp in North Carolina. And got, I was there for about four years. Um, loved the place. And ended up. Uh, feeling like it was time for us to move on, so we started praying. I wanted to go into missions. I've always wanted to since I became a Christian. So we started looking. It eventually went to China for two weeks. It wasn't it. Kept looking around, trying to figure out what we're supposed to do. Eventually, the director of our camp said, you know, why don't you think about being a youth pastor? And I vocally was like, no, I do not want to do that. Like, I don't want to be a youth pastor. And so I don't even want to be a pastor. And uh, anyways... Agreed to go ahead and do it, so I wrote up a very honest, very vulnerable, like, um, what do you call it? Uh, resume. resume. Yeah, so I wrote up a resume, which I didn't have barely anything to put on it anyway, so I had to make up something. And so I put up, like, very, like, this is who I am, sent it out all over the nation, and I did it in a way that was kind of, like, trying to manipulate God. I did it to places where they had climbing nearby, because I loved to climb at the time. <laughs> and so Cody, Wyoming was the first place I applied to because I saw it on a website, and applied. It was the first pl- place to tell me no. Signed letter from the current pastor at the time. And then it ended up being the first place to hire me. So in the process of, um, in the whole candidating process, we eventually came out. 
um, they sent me a letter saying no, like I said, and then um, then they asked me to come candidate and eventually hired me. But well, in the middle of the candidating process, I was sitting in the lead pastor's dying room. I said, like, I asked him, I was like, man, I gotta know, like, why in the world am I now in Cody, Wyoming, when you already told me no? Like, am I like, you went through the rest of the applications and like they were so horrible, like this is the best you can. Like, <laughs> here we go, we got this guy. But then, so I asked him, and he actually said he said that. They were going through all these applications, putting some of the no pile, some of the yes pile, or like keep considering pile, and they got to mine, and they liked it, and for some reason, and they put it in the keep considering, they were going to put it in the keep considering pile, but the conversation got distracted, and then they forgot, so they just put me in the no pile, somehow, in a weird way. So they put that in a file, sent all those people letters saying, no, we're not interested, put me in a file cabinet, done. Well... A couple days went by, the lead pastor pulled out all the ones they wanted to keep considering, praying over them, looking at them. Didn't like, for some reason, didn't feel a piece about any of them. So he went back to the no fo uh, folder, pulled it out, went through all of them, found mine, and just had a check in the spirit, like, I need to I need to send this guy a message. And so, sent me an email, 15 minutes later, after I responded to the email, um, we got in a phone conversation, and then talked for about 45 minutes, it was awesome. Two weeks later, we were there candidating. I was sitting at the dining room. He said, that's why. That's why we came back to you, and that was enough to convince me. So it took me a year to finally realize that I was supposed to be a youth pastor. So, <laughs> so God's grace to all those kids in that first year. But um, but yeah, so that's how I got into it, still doing it. Now all I want to do is be a pastor. I, I love it. Yeah, and you wrote, if I remember correctly, you wrote about porn on your application. I right? did, yeah. I actually, I said, yeah, I came, came out of a porn addiction, was... Um, still trying to put it behind me and that it's funny is the the vulnerability in that um it's funny i got a lot of no's around the nation i think they're all like, <laughs> i'm probably wisely saying like nah we ain't doing this joker so but i he said he said he loved the fact that i was able to be open and honest i still had like i had a track record of a, i've done some a little bit of things um but he liked that because he felt like i was teachable i was open and honest i was somebody to work with and um, that's just kind of my, a little bit more of my personality is like I am you see what you, you see what you get with me mm -hmm. like I'm not gonna I'm not really a uh, you know backhanded person I usually kind of intentional about what I say is what I mean kind of thing um, and so now if I wrote another resume I wouldn't <laughs> be so I wouldn't be so bold but uh, but yeah it I, God used it and it was great I you know whether or not I'd recommend it, like I said, I don't know that I'd recommend yeah. it, but it was, it's, I don't know why I did that, but I think it was, partly it was my way of like, eh, nobody's going to hire me, and I'll just keep going back to missions, but mm -hmm. God's like, all right, I'll use you, yeah, you joker. Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. What? A, well, let's just kind of jump into that then. Let's yeah. say, I think porn is the pressing issue yep. of men, especially. Women are on the rise. Yeah. Um, how did you kind of combat that addiction and... Um, it's, it's not going anywhere, right? Like, porn is ever-increasingly harder to avoid. Mm -hmm. You can't drive down the street without even seeing a billboard or flip through Instagram without seeing something. Um, what is that? I mean, I, I don't think there are tactics to stop watching porn. I don't think it's a tactic thing. Um, but talk a little bit about your journey through that. Yeah, I completely agree, because it started for me, I think, in sixth grade when I first, like, realized what porn was. And uh, I remember, like dial-up computer which was in the living room mm -hmm. and like it took forever for the image to pop up and my parents were like in their room like okay this has got to speed up you know <laughs> waiting for a video to download or whatever anyways so it started in like sixth grade which is you know very i think the middle school years are some of the most foundational years for who you were going to become like there's a lot of things that imprint in that time and you're so open to being imprinted on and so went to it heavy around that time and uh and just kept it just kept growing and growing and growing and growing and just perverting and messing up my relationships and the way I saw women and everything. And so by the time I would be, you know became a Christian and realized like this you know this is a bad thing I need to change this. It's like I was so far into it it was kind of that thing like I don't know how I'm ever going to change this. And there were a few times in my life where I was like this is just never going to go away this is impossible to get rid of like there is no way. And talking to other guys I'm like maybe somebody else is figuring this out but I can't figure out how to, to how to fix this. And I think the the there's a lot of reasons right like uh, it's not just a like it's not just a physical issue it's a spiritual issue mm -hmm. and like you said like spiritual issues are heart issues and so 
when your heart's broken, you got to get your heart fixed before you can start seeing other things right. And so um, I think to like to fast forward, the thing that really started to speed up the healing process was I was tr- realizing that my healing was going to come. I know it sounds really like cliche, I guess, but that looking to Jesus to be the one who did it was going to be the thing that fixed me rather than me just controlling it by trying to control like phone use and things like that. Um, like my phone now, I don't have no web browser. I got, you know, like I said, like, uh, like I have Instagram just because I'm using it for youth ministry, which is my excuse to use it. <laughs> try still trying not to use it at all. You know, like I'm trying to get rid of any of those things and like fill up the time with other stuff or whatever. But at the end of the day, like everybody I've worked with, like, and talked with and been accountable with, like accountability partners don't work as well as you think they do. Never do. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's so easy to lie. Like, yeah, I'm I'm really good at manipulation, and so it's like, yeah, I can just all right. Um, like covenant eyes, great. It just makes you feel more guilty because you're going to find some way to get around it. There's always around a way to around everything, and so that going on. So I realized like my heart needs to change. Something needs to be different, and so so God started kind of working on me. Like, and this is with everything in life that the more that you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and not looking at your own imperfections, the more that God solves those imperfections. So I like to say like if I'm looking up at Christ in my Below my vision, he's doing and changing things in me that I can't see. And over a period of time, if I keep my vision on Christ, focus mainly on Jesus, like by the time I look back down, a lot of things have begun to change and shift. I think there's a C.S. Lewis quote talking about like, you know, day by day, nothing changed, but looking back, nothing's the same. Mm-hmm. I think that's the true is like, it definitely didn't happen overnight. And I've heard of some people who were like healed like overnight and praise God for that. Like I begged for that and prayed for that. <laughs> God just works differently with me apparently, but... It's the more that I continue to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus that he changes me, I don't change myself. That sanctification work is in him. And so I found that the more I try to do it myself, like try to change it myself, the more just laid up guilt, frustration, and it started to pop out in other areas outside of like pornography and sexuality and stuff like that. So so I've, I've experienced immense healing that way. It's just like, okay, I'm going to make this about Christ. I'm going to focus on him. I'm going to remind myself who I am in him. Um, because I think a lot of, like, at least for me anyway, sex was a lot about my identity and who I was. And like in a porn, you could be like, you could be a stud, you know, you could be whatever. And so um, I think that um, realizing who I am in Christ and how he feels about me kind of started to heal that up and fix that up. Yeah, I like, I like that a lot. Do you think, because some of the guys that I've helped through porn and discipled through, it almost always seems like porn is a symptom. Yeah. It's not the source. Yeah. It's a very, and it's a very, it's just a, it's a, like it's such an addictive, easy symptom. Like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, it's not, it's, it's just so, and like you said, like it's so, like I think like, uh, what was it? Um, one of the websites, Pornhub, like they released their stats for 2017. Like unbelievable. The amount of content that was added onto Pornhub just in 2017 was 68 years worth of video footage. Hmm. So if you wanted to watch all of what was just uploaded in 2017, you would have to start back like in the late, you know, late 40s, 50s. Start then and not stop watching all the way until 2018 to finally see all that was just uploaded in 2017. Hmm. Like unbelievable stats, you know, and there's so much and it's so readily available on the phone. Yeah, it's yeah. the phone, the phone is like a symptom of it's like a great like I don't know, not symptom catch-all, but like um, a great way for all of your heart troubles, whatever, to just, it's a great avenue for all those to just play out horrible ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I heard an analogy one time, like people that are addicted to porn, uh, the cell phone is like if you're a smoker and you have an unlimited pack of cigarettes in your front pocket at all times. Yeah. That's pretty much having a cell phone in your pocket for a porn addict. It's available any second of the day that you want it, and yeah, it's just, and it eats you from the inside out. Oh, you know, yeah. I was like, as you both know, I struggled with porn for like 12 years of my life, didn't tell anyone about it, because I just thought I was like the only one that struggled with it, <laughs> which I'm sure a lot of people feel that way too, like I know I wasn't the only one. Um, but yeah, it's something I think that's just like plaguing society right now, Um but I do, I do see like a positive, like, I feel like more people are talking about it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's just because like I started talking about it more. So I think more people are talking about it, but it seems like it's not as taboo as it was like a couple years ago. 
Um, but yeah, it's something that definitely like just eats you from the inside out. And like you were saying, it starts affecting every part of your life. And I think for me as a Christian, I was like, well, I'm not having sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm watching this porn, but I'm not having sex. So it's like the best of both worlds, you know, because it's preached, don't have sex before marriage, but Hey, I'm getting my fix through this computer screen, mm-hmm. but I'm still, I'm not having sex with actual people. So like, I'm not sinning, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So it's like, you're able just to talk, like try and make sense of it, justify it to yourself, but it's all just a load of crap. Oh yeah. And, like, <laughs> and the, the easiest person to fool is always yourself. Yeah. Like you're no, you're not going to any, fool anyone more than yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, I remember like, like, I mean, that's like sin in our culture period is like, there's just this huge war to try to make every single sin feel like, no, it's okay. Like to justify it and it's okay. It's normal, whatever. I remember when I was at military school, um, I was walking by this room. So we had girls and guys at this military school and girls were always on the third floor. So like if you're on the third floor, like you're in the, you're in the wrong space, bro. So, <laughs> and, uh, and so anyways, I remember walking by this room and this girl and this guy, like we went to stop by the room, we popped in and this girl and this guy, they're just sitting there watching porn together like it was a movie. Like, literally had popcorn in their hands. Hmm. And they're watching, like, a movie. And, I mean, it was, like, a no big deal. And I thought that was a cool thing. I was like, man, that's super cool, whatever, you know. I'd love mm-hmm. to sit with a girl and be able to do that, whatever. Um, but at the same time, even though I wasn't a Christian, saw that, thought it was cool, there was still this, like, something inside, like, all of this is very wrong. But I didn't, like, thing, I don't know about you, but the thing for me that, like, when people are like, you know, you know this promotes sex trade and, you know, you know, that girl's probably abused as a child or whatever, blah, blah, blah. This is the reason why she's in there. There's a lot of, like, there's a lot of bad corruption behind it, which is absolutely true and it's a big problem. That never did anything for me, though. It never, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I probably shouldn't because that. I think it was just the, there is something inherently wrong with the whole thing. Like, that's what felt bad. And that's the reason why I think so many people kept it a secret. It's like, even kids who don't, like, I don't know, like, I don't know, grew up in an environment where it's like, okay, they still know something in their chest. Like, this isn't quite right. Like, mm-hmm. I, should, I still should keep this to myself. And I think that's like Satan's biggest win is, hey, if anybody found out about this, like they would never look at you the same and mm-hmm. you would be, you'd just be cast out. You're, you're nothing. You're worthless. If anybody knew, like, you know, and it's like that laying up of guilt. And I always try to explain to kids, like, there's not really that much of a difference between guilt and conviction, but I always, I try to clarify that like, um, guilt is Satan trying to make you feel worthless. Like use the things that you do wrong to make you feel worthless and to de- decrease your worth. Um, which just creates another set of issues that gives him the win. But conviction is God's sweet wooing of you to pull you, say, hey, I got a better way. There's a better way for this. Mm-hmm. And it's only found in the one place I designed it for. Like, you should come this way. Like, I'm, And that's that conviction. And it's a, it's it's also an equally strong pull. Um, at least you hope it is. And mm-hmm. so I think when I became a Christian, that's when it started to switch to conviction. I'm like, oh, shoot, there's a better way. Because that's when I really started to see there's a better way. Because I didn't really grow up in an environment where I was shown the right way of like way marriage and sex and all that was supposed to be. I mean, I I, I, I even said uh, that um, when I was like, I think I was like eight years old. And uh, I remember we went to a, like one of my mom's friends was like a, like a biker gang leader or whatever. And we were at like their house and go inside. And like everybody we knew at that time, they had a bar in their house. So this big bar, and my mom set me down at the bar, and there's a big party, and all these people, or whatever. And I sat down at the bar, and in this, in the top of the bar, you know that like clear coating, mm-hmm. and sometimes they'll put like cards and dice and stuff like that. Naked women all through it, like Polaroid pictures. And I'm looking around the room, and all the women are there. Like the women in this countertop are there. And I'm like eight, and at eight years old, you're looking at it, and you're like, hmm, that's weird. <laughs> you know, like you know that kind of thing, but. But I mean that, so like, I mean that, I can, I mean, I can still see that mm-hmm. bar right now, you know, and, um, it just leaves an imprint. And so it's, I wasn't really given a great example, but at the same time, like, you know, if I had, even if I had the worst example, whatever, like God could still redeem that. And God's been redeeming that in my life. So like, no matter who listens, wherever they're at, like God is, has the ability to sanctify. There's nothing that God cannot redeem. He's in the business of redemption. Mm-hmm. And so that's like, if anything, I, I want people to know, like, um, that moment where you feel like you'll never be able to lose it, that's a great place to be because that's the point where God's going to start like showing you, you know, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I want to show you how great I actually am. And so, but it doesn't come with hard work and effort. It's mm-hmm. not like working out. It's still, it's, it's a very deeply spiritual thing. Yeah. And that's, that's what I've actually run into is 
the the guys that have come to me about it, it's almost sometimes it seems like accountability makes porn worse because the more you talk about the porn, the more you bring. If I'm gonna bring porn into your mind every single day, I feel like I'm being more of a stumbling block than anything. Yeah. And so that's it's like with every other, not maybe not every other sin, but with most other sins, accountability is hey man, let's let's talk about this every day. Let's mm-hmm. keep it going. But with porn, it's like do I bring this up every single day? You know, like, will this really help them if I yeah. make their brain think about porn every single day? Yeah. Um, and that's something I've run into. Was that something that you guys thought was, was that helpful or hurtful or how did that kind of manifest? Yeah. I like, I was kind of like Greg, I was kind of like a one day, like, okay, I'm sick of this. I'm done. And then I was done mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, I struggled for years and had a lot of fake, okay, this is the last time, and then the next day I would do it all over again. Oh, okay, the this first is the day, last time. Like guilt, yeah. Yeah, but then I finally just had enough last August, and luckily God, like, saved me from porn back then. But yeah, like, at first I was like, 10 days clean, and then, like, two weeks clean or whatever, you know? But then I started reading this stuff online. It's like, every time you acknowledge that, you're thinking about porn even though you don't really know it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, a month clean, you know? So I was just like, okay, I'm just not going to keep track anymore and just like live my life without porn, without even letting it enter my brain in any capacity. And then I found a lot more freedom after I I did that. Well, that's, you know, like, uh, so we had a a guy came to our church and he talked to our lead pastor and the lead pastor thought it'd be, it was, you know, porn addiction. And so the lead pastor thought I'd be a great connect for this guy. And so, um, he said, you know, would you be willing to meet with him? And that was my first thing was like, I don't know if I want to meet with him because I don't want porn to be brought up every single week I meet with this guy. Like, mm-hmm. I'm doing great. Like, I'd rather not yeah. talk about it all the time. Yeah. And so we started, we ended up starting meeting and talking like, I want to help this guy out. So we started meeting and we started talking whatever. And he's got one of those like classic cards, you know, it's like, all right, you know, it's really, it's to talk about porn. But it's like, you know, are you handling your finances? Are you, you know, it's all these things, I guess, man qualities, whatever. And I'd never done it that way. But as soon as I saw it, I hated it. I was like, this is the dumbest thing in the world. Like, if we want to beat porn addiction, we want to create generosity in our hearts, we want to be men of like of integrity with our wives or whatever. It's like, how about we just like study the word and like study about Jesus? Let's like you know, talk about who we are in Christ. Let's talk about let's talk about the word. Let's talk about God. Let's not talk about the porn addiction. And it's not that I want to ignore that. It's just the more I focus on this thing that I was like living without my entire life, the more I find that those things be start to become more and more of a non issue. Mm-hmm. And uh so I told him, I was like, man, I, I really don't want to get together with you and ask you whether or not you looked at porn. I just want to, like, get in the Word. Like, I'd rather it be a Bible study, and then we know each other and love each other well. Um, and for me, like, I think that whole time, whether it was successful for him or not, it was really good for me to, to help me solidify my thoughts on that. Like, I really need to, like, if I'm going to help a guy out, Quinn, like you're saying, like, I want to keep bringing up porn. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a guy who's got a drinking issue, like, like stop going to the bars. Like like stop walking by bars all the time. Like, mm-hmm. You know that if you go, I actually talked to a guy. He said he knew that if he went this like this route, he and he had an alcohol issues. He's like if I drove this way home, I was gonna be tempted to go to the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, he said so he picked a different route to drive home, see a new thing. Like it just didn't remind him of that. And that's the same for me. I think it's just like, yeah, we could put all kinds of stuff on your phone. And I can get your reports, but I don't want to get your reports either because there's like a button on there. Like Kevin and I's is like, you want to see what they looked at? No, I don't. Yeah. I don't even want that button. Are you kidding me? I don't yeah. want to know what he looked at. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I don't care what level of depravity it is. I don't want to see it. And so I think finding ways, like, I, and I think that's true of all sin. It's like, man, like if you really want to see that sin disappear in your life, spend more time learning about worshiping, honing in on who Jesus is mm-hmm. and less on who you are. It's just, it's just more narcissism. Like guilt is like, like woe is me and blah blah. You don't even want to be around guys like that. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to be around myself when I'm like that, mm-hmm. and it doesn't help me. So yeah, and I think I think the common thread between both of your th- stories is the beginning of the end to your problem was vulnerability, mm-hmm. which is what the podcast this podcast is what we want to be all about. Yeah, and I think so much of you fill in the blank. We're talking about porn right now. You fill in the blank with whatever you're struggling with. So much of what you struggle with is the fact that you refuse to be vulnerable based out of a belief that someone's going to think of you differently because of it. Um, what was the freedom you guys experienced like, if it was freedom, when you were first, when you first brought that into the light and said, this is me, this is what it is? 
I think there's like, like you said, there's a fear, and I think there's a little bit of relief from that, especially if you do it with somebody who's going to love you regardless. Um, shame for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think there was a bit of freedom. Freedom and hope, like, okay, maybe this can be the change. This can be the beginning of something new here. I think the biggest part of freedom was I had picked, like, four or five guys that I was like, okay, I'm going to tell them, and hopefully they come alongside me. And pretty much, like, all of those dudes were struggling with porn, too. So it was like, okay, holy moly, I'm not, like, the only one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, whatever you're struggling with, like, other people are struggling with it too, you know? And I think it does just take that act of courage of like, don't go tell everyone you know about what you're struggling with. Find those couple people that you're close with Mm -hmm. that you trust and just lay it all out there and just like tell them all the details, tell them like everything that you've just been holding in for years and just lay it out all out on the table. And if like they change their mind about you, then were they really even that close to you anyways? Mm-hmm. Those people that truly love you, they want to know your deep, dark secrets and they want to walk with you in those. And they'll stay by your side even afterwards. And your relationship will get stronger, if anything, after you just kind of dump all your, your garbage on them. So. Mm-hmm. And it gives them the confidence to open up about their stuff too. That's kind of the biggest thing is we want to get vulnerable with people or we want people to get vulnerable with us and our relationships to be closer but a lot of the time it takes that first step of, of me opening up to someone for them to feel comfortable. Okay, like this person is real, so I can get real with them. You know, like if you just ask people to open up to you, it might not, it might not happen uh, without you taking the first step. So, I think, it's, I think it's even more terrifying for pastors because like, like their whole position that they're in and stuff like that could put them in a really... Yeah, I feel like they're gonna feel like everything suddenly is on is absolutely on the line, and in, in a lot of ways, there's some situations where you're like, yeah, dude, you need to be removed from where you're at, and some people's like, hey, you should, why don't you take some time and that kind of thing too, but I think it's important for those guys. Like, it doesn't mean that you don't say anything. Period. Like, you're not expected to be perfect. And then a church that expects you to be perfect is like, that's you're not in a. If you're the lead pastor, you need to change the way you start preaching the gospel, you know. And like, mm-hmm. but I think finding a place and a space to say like hey, I'm not perfect, like, here's where it is. But yeah, like you said, find somebody that you can can share that with and be open and honest with. But regardless of where you're at, it's still not easy to, mm-hmm. to talk about. But that's, you know, like we talked about, this, or I talked about this past Sunday, is that, like, you know, step we can step into the light because there is good news of the gospel. That even that thing that you keep in the darkness that you think nobody sees, God sees it. And yet, yeah, he died for that as well. Like, you know, he doesn't die for just the things that are out in the light. Like, He's, he's covered that. So, um, but it's tough. How do you, how have you found that porn has affected your marriage? Cause I know like, mm-hmm. I used to think that like, Oh, once I get married and I'm actually having sex with my wife, like porn won't be an issue. Yeah. So how has like, how has that kind of created some struggles in your marriage? Yeah. Well, every guy who started with pornography before you got married, who said that and thought that you don't believe that anymore. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Like, that's definitely not true. I thought the same, too. And, you know, like, you know, we talked about sex is amazing. Um, but it ain't all that. Like, it's just like, like, pornography. It's like, you're going to, I mean, it's it's way better than pornography. But um, at the end of the day, it's like, when it's done, like, it's done, right? And, like, you're like, okay, well, I guess there's a lot more to marriage. And so I realized that kind of, like, one, it messed up the way I saw women in general, for one. Two, my sex life in my marriage, it made it something that like tainted it, right? Like I came in with expectations, whereas my wife um, who, uh, was a virgin when we got married, like freaking amazing. And I, you know, I didn't bring the same gift to our marriage. So she comes in with a certain type of expect, like, or maybe lack of expectations. And I'm coming in with certain type of expectations. And so there was a lot of navigating and figuring out like, and a lot of hurt feelings on how to navigate those. And I had to get put in my place and say, all right, you know, it's time to stop being a boy and start being a man about this. Like, boys look at porn, men love their wives. And so um, I had to grow in, like, respect and, like, that's not what sex is. This is what, it, you know. So there was a lot of reorienting in my brain of, like, what is sex for? And, um, you know, the intimacy of it. It's not just about getting some pleasure out of this person or whatever. And so, um, you know, it, it took some time to really start to, change that 
shift that and she had to pay for the brunt of that like it wasn't just that I didn't bring that gift of like hey you're the only one and I like I waited for you um, it was that she also had like the baggage I brought she also had to carry with me you know but she was incredibly incredibly gracious and I think a lot you know a lot of the victory is what Jesus did in my life but also a lot of the victory in my life has been how wonderfully gracious my wife has been to me like you said about having a great friend I mean, there's nobody closer to me than my wife, and she knows more about me than anyone in the world, and yet she still loves me, she's kind to me, she's gracious, she's encouraging me, she makes me feel like a man. Like, it's just, it's amazing. So a lot of the healing in my heart has been the fact that I have another human being who knows everything, and yet it's going to love me, but not just love me, like, put up with me, like, <laughs> like legit, like, wishes God's best for me, and wants to be a part of that. And, um, man... It's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's if it, any guy who's like I don't know it, a non-Christian relationship, I could see it be like ruin everything for sure. Mm-hmm. But in a Christian relationship, I think we got a particular advantage, regardless of what anybody wants to argue. Um, they'll lose that argument. But like in Christ, it made our marriage. It our I was able to be healed up in it. Like there was mm-hmm. potential for it to become something better, and so and it totally has. I love it. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I think God's going to really speak to that because we didn't plan on talking about porn at all. So yeah, <laughs> we yeah. just talked about it for 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know. And now I'm like, I'm like, shoot, man. Like, should I send this, like this podcast link to my wife? She's going to be like, wait a second. Wait, what? You said I was a virgin on the, on the <laughs> yeah. air? That's funny. I should tell you. So we had, they do this, they used to do this like community Christmas thing and Cody were like all the, like, the churches, like we'll do a Christmas service together or whatever. And so we get together. It's really like awkward, weird spiel. And, uh, well, so it was like me, a previous children's pastor, and my wife were supposed to read these lines from the Christmas story. And my wife got, her only line was Mary's words when she says, how can this be since I am a virgin? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, then it brought a lot, of, a lot of jokes. So like I had to read this line, this whole bit, Jake read this whole bit, and also my wife just steps up at the mic and says, how can this be for I am a virgin? <laughs> and it like backs away. It's like, this is the weirdest thing. <laughs> So she's got her fair. She's she's uh she's publicly said. She's, she's taking the brunt of it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I like so one of the things that you talked about while we were talking about porn was that uh, identity was the source of your porn addiction. Mm-hmm. So let's jump into identity a little bit. I know you. So you have a unique exposure. I know you've had your own identity crisis in certain areas of your life. Mm-hmm. But not only that, you are knee deep with kids at the age where there's probably the most identity issues. Being a youth pastor in middle school and high school. Um, what do you think? Uh, just in terms of identity, what are some of the real pressing issues right now for yourself, maybe back then or even now, and the ki- that kids are facing? Yeah. You know, I think, so um, kids are very much a product of their environment in a lot of ways. And like we talked about, like, like there's a lot of cliches I'm about to say that are just absolutely obvious. And we just have to, either we're going to like acknowledge them and do the hard thing and change it, or we're not. And the biggest one right now is cell phones, for sure. For me, Cell phones is a a crazy environment thing. Like, you look around at your environment, but if you're staring at the same place for your environment all the time, and it's telling you constantly what the world is supposed to be like, it's giving you your worldview constantly. Like, it's good. Like, that whole, remember, like, people say, well, you know, like, you know, I listen to Tupac or whatever. Well, it doesn't affect me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whatever, dude. Like, (laughs) whatever, man. Like, not even true. So, like, that whole, anybody who says, like, oh, it's not going to affect me, you're a fool, you know, grow up. It's time to change. Um, but it's affecting them dramatically. And so the problem, so here's the problem I have, and I, I get really frustrated with this, is that um, all parents know that cell phone is destroying their child, but then they wuss out and say, well, I, I can't take it from him. I can't, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, yeah, you can. You're the parent. He's 13. You're he, paying the bill. You're paying the bill. <laughs> yeah. he, he knows nothing. He contributes nothing. He eats everything. And yet he walks around in his underwear like he owns a place. Like, you know, like, <laughs> take the phone from him. His life will still go on. Like, for thousands of years, we had no cell phones. And we produced better men, you know, than what you have walking around your house right now. And so, yeah. you know, you know, we've got a teenager, too. And, and I love the kid. But the kid is, like, self, like we, know, we talk about all the time. Like, when my daughter watches TV, her heart is just becomes crazy selfish. When my, uh, our son is on his cell phone or playing Fortnite, you know, for hours on end, like his heart just changes. Like the way he views things and the way he talks, the tone and the pitch, 
and his swagger just completely changes. It gets more narcissistic, more self-focused. So you gotta start realizing like, the cell phone is a horrible drug. I mean, non-Christian stat companies are putting out things saying, this is destroying this generation. It's like, okay, then take it away, like mm-hmm. remove it. If somebody came up with a law and everyone voted to pass it, like all cell phones being removed, I would not be mad at my phone being taken from me. Because everybody else on the same page is like, all right, cool. You know, like, and, and so anyways, that is a huge struggle, which I think leads to the, I think a deeper problem um, is the parent issue. Like for me, the identity crisis was the fact that like growing up, my dad was in prison. Um, you know, there's a lots of like, lots of, um, I always say that growing up for me was like trying to hold on to smoke. Like everything you thought you could hold on to, you couldn't because uh, it was going to be gone or move or whatever. I went to a different elementary school every single year except for one, two high schools, four colleges. You know, it's like all like always changing. And so that always changing and never having something solid and rooted and uh, consistent was really a big part of why my identity was so rough. But it's also a big part of the reason I was attracted to the certain friends that I have, like, you know, like you guys. For instance, I grew up in the same town. Um, parents were consistent. Your dad was consistent, and um, and brought a consistent message. Wouldn't even say the hard things, but at the same time allowed you to grow up. Like I didn't have that. It was kind of like it was a weird mixed bag of a lot of things. And I think a lot of kids, more often than not, that's the case. It's very rare that kids get the experience where dad is present, dad loves the Lord, dad is seeking his best for the kid, regardless of whether it hurts the kid or not, and allows the kid to. Even makes the kid do hard things and be consistent and, and do those things that we would say are like like a man that you know honor and integrity and, and graciousness and how to take care of somebody and stick into your word and things like that um, like as you know as an adult I'm like trying to fix those on my own because I'm adult now I don't I can't be relying on my parents to make me learn those lessons anymore um, so I'm trying to like retro fit my whole life to those things mm-hmm. but a lot of our kids now like they don't get that. And what we do is, I mean, and this again, it comes through cell phones, and the parents are allowing it. Is uh, culture's winning out, big time, and pop culture rules the roost in our in the U.S. You know, mm-hmm. it used to be like whoever's the oldest, like they got the say. You know, elders was a big deal, or whatever. Like you know, you I remember like when I lived in the South, I remember talking to some old guys, and they said like if you mouthed off to an adult anywhere in town. Like, he would pop you right there. He wouldn't even know you. He'd smack you. That's a wonderful thing. And we, should, <laughs> we should bring that back. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's funny. is like, so, like, like when Jake's friends come over to the house. Mm-hmm. Um, Jake's your teenage son. Yeah, yeah. So, when they uh, when they come over to the house, like, I'll say, like, you know, hey, so-and-so or whatever. If they don't say hey back, I make them pause before they go to Jake's room. Come back. Like, Yo, come back over here. Hey, man, I said hey to you. And, uh, hey, well, how you doing, man? Like, let's t- and, like, we'll try to engage in conversation. Like, you can't, you don't just, like, come to my house, grab a bowl of cereal, walk down, and you never say a word. Like, you gotta, you gotta engage, you gotta say something. And it's funny, is like, Jake knows it now, so he just busts out laughing. Because he watches his friend struggle to have a conversation with an adult. And I'm 28, it's like, I'm not that scared, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and, uh, so we had those conversations. But then, I've got a couple kids who, who've come over, and, like, well, some of his friends, man, they'll sit on the couch. We sit and have a conversation. And I know instantly your dad's involved. Yeah. Instantly, I know your dad's involved. And then I meet their dad. I'm like, yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's the, well, no, we've, ta- we've talked about this before. Like nobody is doing worse than men in this society right now, mm-hmm. period. So I think it was like Stanford or whatever came out with like an article on the demise of guys. And the demise of guys was what are the two things killing men in the United States? Like destroying manhood, pornography and video games. Two fantasy worlds where you can you know do whatever you want, and maybe even like act like a man and shoot people and run through war or whatever, but you're still fat sitting on your couch doing nothing, right? And so, those are two things. So they're they're scoring lower on tests, they're not their acceptance rate in college is getting is going down. And like this is Stanford, like they they're not in love with Jesus, right? Like, mm-hmm. but they're still putting out stats that are t- confirming the thing we've been saying from the beginning. Like, we need to promote biblical manhood, and so I think. Identity issues have to do with the dad's not showing them how to what their identity is, and I think not. I'm not sexist at all, and I really believe in the importance of women, especially in the household. But I think men set the sex of their child, really do. I think they set the sex of their child. Like I've heard it said, like a a woman cannot make a boy a man. Only a man can do that. Can make their son a man. But a man can also make their 
daughter, their princess, into a woman. Um, it's just a special gift given to men. And so, like, if I was if I was Satan, like, and I knew that 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 kind of power was placed like by God into men's hands, who would you go for in the household? Men. Like, I, that's what I would do. I'd be like, how can I like take this whole family system out of the knees? I'm gonna ruin the dad in the situation. So we get more dad stuff than like making excuses and copping out and getting engaged. I think we'd see a lot of like turnaround in identity. I know that yeah. was the way in my life. Like, yeah, no, definitely. I wanna I wanna jump into that too because you might be the most obsessed person I've ever met with just manhood, which is making men right. Like yeah. we've had conversations about just throwing your son out in the forest and making him come back. Yeah, I know. It's like, like we we gotta bring back walkabouts, like a, like an absolute like mandate. Like, yeah. Know, yeah. So what? Uh, I think like just what are some things that you'd like to see happen to just generate more men? You know, to men. I think I, I got to start with my own self. Like, how am I going to do this? And like, I can I, I'm not doing it the way I want to do with our own son. Like, I want to step it up. I want to go even farther. And if you know this next kid's a boy too, like, let's. I want to you know step it up. I want to see. I think, or I want to encourage. What I'm am encouraging is. Um, thousand things like for one let's let's stop pretending like that manhood is something easy mm-hmm. and that's something that you can just, just happen so you can watch a youtube video and mm-hmm. it's gonna happen like we have to start realizing it, it takes a lot a lot of effort like and so if you want to raise your boy to be a man you're gonna have to be engaged with your son you're, he's gonna have to be one of your primary disciples um, we're all called disciple people your son and your daughter and your wife they're they are your disciples and so you disciple them um to, I think, just good, like, have conversations, like, constantly have conversations. Don't wait for a youth pastor to tell your kid about sex. You talk to your kid about sex. Mm-hmm. You know, don't wait for a pastor to come tell your kid how to be a man. You tell your kid how to be a man. And then also live it at the house, but also live it in a very, like, vulnerable way. Hey, buddy, I messed that up. But that's part of being a man is being able to confess and say, like, I screwed that up. I want you to see that. I want you to know that. Here's what I want to do better. Men loving their wives and dating their wives. Man, nothing shows your kids security like you make it out with your wife in the kitchen. <laughs> it's funny. It's like our daughter, like she will hear her like, eh, right? But she is, she won't stop looking, right? So we, like, I ain't going, I don't care. I want to make it out with my wife. She's hot. So we're making it out in the kitchen and Liv's like, I'll see her like peeking her head like around the corner and look, eh, but she's, man, it's not wife because she, but there's something about it, like my dad loves my mom, my mom loves my dad, and there's something like gives her some security. I mean, I think it's like I don't know. There's a lot of things other than like Jesus coming back and just like making all things right. Like, gotta love them, gotta be, gotta even be engaged with your kids, which does not mean that you cannot let your house be a kid-centered house. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Your house cannot be run by your kids. Like I cannot tell you how unattractive it is to watch a five-year-old, like. Like, would you, like, you know, would you watch somebody's kid, like, run the house, rule the house? And that five-year-old is, like, putting this, like, their parents in, like, this crazy emotional state. Like, I, like, I've been tempted a couple times to go to my, like, and spank my friend's kids. Which, I'm from the South, and I'm, like, I live in Wyoming. It's probably not culturally correct to do that. But I've been real close to it. And I've had some friends have to, like, give me the eye, like, don't spank his kid. Like, you know, but at the same time, like, I think, one, man, spank your kid. Hold your kid accountable. You do not, like... Your house is a Christ-centered house, not a kid-centered house. Your kid does not tell you how to run your house. You let your kid know how. Now, you do it still in a sweet, loving way, like, mm-hmm. obviously. I think we're a culture to, right? I had to say that, and that's the reason why this podcast really could be, like, 15 podcasts, is, like, we're such a pendulum culture, and I can't, we've talked about this, I can't stand this. Like, you say one thing, so they automatically think that you swung the pendulum to the other side. It's like, well, I'm not saying that either. Don't jump from one ditch and go to the other ditch. It's like, get a balanced view in your life, like, your kid's throwing a temper tantrum. Whoop his tail and let him know. We don't act like that. I'm not telling you to like abuse your kid and beat him and like <laughs> make him where he has no emotions anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like your kids are far more resilient than you think. You know, like I dropped my daughter one time just confessing this. Oh, this one. <laughs> yeah. She bounced back, no problem. <laughs> yeah, she's great. No mental deformities that I know of. Yeah. Well, and there's just I think one of the things too of like um one of the kind of the metrics of masculinity now has become solitude. And I think that, that men are trying to stand apart and show their manhood by being alone, you know? Mm. And I think that includes their children. They're not being with their children. Um, Caleb and I were obviously, we're very blessed to have the dad that we have. Um, but one of the things dad did the most was step into conversation with us yeah. so that he could see where we were, right? We can't get to where you want to go unless you know where you are. Mm-hmm. 
And so he, he, would, he would help us understand where we were. He would understand where we were. And we would go where we wanted to go together. And um, To understand where you were, though, he had to allow you to speak and ask you questions. He had to. So dad always, one of the best things that I say about my dad is that um, he, he's humble enough to take advice from anyone. And so he, 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 since we were, what, young, we could, if we said something and it convicted dad enough, he would take the advice of a 10-year-old, you know, because he's humble enough to understand, like, hey, like, that's, that may be God speaking to me through that. Um, but yeah, he had to be willing to listen to, like, hey, my kid's not a complete idiot. Mm-hmm. You know, like, they're a human, too. They have a brain. They can talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of what they say is going to have clout. And obviously, he would weigh that to reality. You know, <laughs> he wouldn't just take everything we say and run with it. Um, but so much of what he did in bringing us up as men was entering into conversation with us and asking, like you said, um, the hard questions of, hey, don't don't let youth ministry teach your kid about sex. Talk to him about sex. Yeah. I'm amazed at the number of dads now who don't talk about sex anymore with their kids. Well, and it, like it, like they're like they're terrified of like, wow, this is gonna be an awkward situation. And I'm like, man, like, like since when is that like so terrible? You raised this kid, yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? Like, what's so- so terrifying about that kid feeling awkward or whatever. It's like, yeah. you, you obviously don't have a great relationship with your kid to begin with. Exactly. And I think that's what it a measure is, is, is they're fearful because they don't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it really comes down to what we talk about a lot is fear of God versus fear of man. Mm-hmm. And just how like, man, you literally fear your child more than you fear God. And, and that's legit. I think a lot of families legitimately fear their kids. Yeah. Like you fear your child more than you fear the good not God, and not only that, you fear them now more than what's going to happen to them in the future because you didn't step in now. Oh yeah. And I think, I don't know. To me, that's it's frustrating. And I like you said. I just referenced it, but you just said that um, not basically not punting on the opportunity for yourself with youth ministry. We've talked about how you're a youth pastor who really isn't a huge proponent of youth ministry mm-hmm. because parents are now using it to punt on Wednesday nights instead mm-hmm. of talking to their kids about Jesus. They bring them once a week to you to let you do it. Mm-hmm. How is talk a little bit about your perspective there? I really like where you're coming from. Of like, hey, this is supplemental. Like, mm-hmm. this is a protein shake. It's not your steak. You know, um, youth ministry is not the end all be all for your child relationship with God. You have to be invested. Right. You want to talk to that? Yeah. Like, anytime we could find something like as a culture, anything, anytime we could find something that is like. Uh, Somebody else is going to do something for us that we could do ourselves. We'll always take it, and so we're always taking this like the easy route. But it never brings you know the best in it, and so we're always prone to allow the government to take care of us. We want to lean into that. We're always, we're always prone if someone's gonna if someone else is gonna start cutting your grass every single week for you, and you weren't gonna cut your like they're like, well, I'll, I'll do it, and they do it for free, whatever. Like you're you're gonna be, and they stop. You're gonna become lazy in the area, and you start complaining about something that like you did without care or whatever before. Anyway, so. I think one of the hardest areas, in the, one of the hardest things to do in, in your whole life is to disciple your kids, to raise and disciple your kids. So knowing that a church has hired a guy to do, you know, specifically that, to disciple your children, though I don't think that's what I've been hired to do, to disciple these people's kids. Um, that's a great relief to know, like, oh, wow. Like, so the thing that I feel real guilty about, that I feel like I'm failing at, this guy's going to do it. Sweet, go there. You know, that thing, I, like, I don't want to talk about, my se- about sex with my kids. This guy's going to do it? Well, then why would I have to do it? I don't want to enter that weird conversation, that hard thing. Why would I have to do the hard thing anymore? And I don't, it never produces in the kid what you want. And then I see the kid for like an hour a week. And somehow in an hour and a week, I'm supposed to change what this kid's been hearing for 70 hours the whole week, which is uninvolvement, go find something to do, go hang out with your brothers and sisters, go play some Fortnite for hours and hours and hours, go look at your phone. And text people who are not even there, like that's their whole environment. And I come, they come into my space, <clears throat> and I'm trying to teach them the complete opposite what it means to be a man, to be a woman of God, which means that you engage with the people around you. Conversations are extremely important. Confe- confession, you know, James five, letting people know who you really are is okay thing to do. They're trying to do that in an environment where the the rest of the world told them the completely opposite. Um, and so, <clears throat> from a youth ministry perspective, like I want to come alongside parents as a plus, like a like basically like like you know like there's no we talk about it a lot like there's no fast track to getting fit mm-hmm. you gotta get in the gym like you can't like you're not gonna take a pill and grow abs it's not gonna happen but there are things that can make it easier for you and can benefit you and like having a trainer who's there who holds you accountable who stands with you tells you better practices um 
tells you when you should take rest, take breaks, how you should eat, and they're there for you to help you out in some ways or whatever. That's a, a great tool, right? That's the reason why CrossFit's an amazing space, right? Because you can be in the gym and there's always a coach there. And then also it's an environment where it's vulnerable. So you're, you're allowing other people to cheer for you, to stand next to you, clap for you. That's a, that's a, I mean, being cheered for is a, for is a vulnerable thing. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really like that sometimes, <laughs> you know? Um, but they'll come over. Like, I'm one of my favorite things, when I first came across it, and it was what kind of sealed up one of the things that, like, one of the reasons why I wanted to really stay there is that in the middle of a workout, when and I'm old, we're all very competitive, right? And, like, mm-hmm. and you're the two that I really wanted to beat all the time. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> because I, like, I really want to win. Well, anyways, and we all know this is the problem in CrossFit sometimes. You really want to win. And wanting to win trumps wanting to do it right. And so I started doing it wrong. And I remember McFadden came up who's one of the coaches at our gym and he came up and he said, Whoa, stop. Like right, right in the middle. I'm trying to catch Caleb (laughs) and he said, no, stop. You're doing this wrong. Let me show you how to do this. And like stood next to me and we took the middle of the workout. The time I set aside to get in there and get fit stops me and says, let's do this right. You need to grab the bar like this. You need to set your body like this. Let's focus on this. And then steps away, watches me do it a few times and steps back in. Okay. Now do this. This is what I want you to work on here going out. That was phenomenal. And I was like, this is where it's at, you know? Because like, like I'm going to the rec center and you watch guys think, doing things in like a globo gym type space. You see some things in there, you're like, dude, if you keep doing that, you're going to hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to go over to them because it's not an environment where you could be that way. So I want to create an environment in my church, and particularly in my ministry, where parents feel like there's this agreement where I get to come alongside you as you raise your kids. And I can like... Not that I know more about parenting, but I can come alongside like, hey, here's some great discipleship principles. Here's where I want to encourage you. Hey, maybe you should slow down in this area. Your kid's not really ready to push it that way. Um, <clears throat> hey, if you want to talk to, about sex with your kids, here's where we recommend you begin, young families. You know, um, this guy, and, and how you begin. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the big reason is like I hear more of failures and successes than the rest of them because a lot of families don't talk to each other. Mm-hmm. But I talk to a crap load of families. And so being there like a trainer, like I'm, I'm the guy who's going to help you as your discipleship trainer to be alongside you, to be there. And then also to create a fun space for these kids to get together peer on peer and, <clears throat> and do things that you don't want. You do not want 50 middle schoolers in your living room, mm-hmm. but I can bring into the church and I can do stuff there where it's going to be Christ centered. It's going to be a blast. We're going to laugh. The friends are going to want to come. And we do have places where they can grow into deeper knowledge and discipleship, but they're all useless if the family's not doing it. Or they're really, really difficult if the family's not doing it. So that's why classical youth, when you say that, like classical youth ministry, whereas I'm going to disciple your kid, you can go on about your day. That I cannot stand. It's the reason why I said I do not want to be a youth pastor because that was a problem to me. But more and more now I'm saying, okay, why don't I use the cultural thing that we've set up, which is youth ministry, and why don't we just bend it and, sh- and shape it in a way that's going to be more effective for the long haul for these kids mm-hmm. and so how do we and that's more of like how do I chase down parents than I do chase down kids so I, I spend more time trying to chase down parents and talk with parents than I do with the kids uh, I love the kids I think they're fantastic but I know that I can do more for the kid if I could talk to their dad first mm-hmm. hands down mm-hmm. um, so yeah that's awesome and just kind of lastly we're wrapping up we're actually about to go work out uh, we're not hypocrites we, no. do, we do actually work out yeah um, and but, we're gonna do it right, even though yeah. we're still gonna try to win. <laughs> what uh, what is it you think? What is it that you wish more people knew about pastors? Being yourself, being all the pastors you know, um, pastors have a hard rap that I think they feel like they can't be vulnerable, um, and that's just not the truth. Um, yeah, I I totally agree that you know. I've heard somebody say that being a pastor is not for wimps, and I think it's absolutely true. They, they don't get a chance to be vulnerable. They don't get a chance to be honest a lot of times. And a lot of it is they, 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 they put that belief on themselves. So pastors need to change their belief on themselves. Um, but I think just understanding that, um, and, and I don't even know like the, the best way to tell people to come alongside your pastor. You know, mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's just being their friend. I find a lot of pastors don't know how to be anybody's friend. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they were taught it or something like that, but learning to be their congregation, like they feel like they always have to be in pastor mode and they can't be anybody's friend. And I think that's a problem. Being a a pastor is going to be miserable if you don't have friends to do it with. And not just other pastor friends, 
just people. So finding a safe space where you can like, you got a guy in your congregation. You, some people may not have it. I've got it in mine. Um, I even got some real close friends. They don't go to my church. They go to another church across town, and I'm okay with that. But <clears throat> you gotta have a friend. You gotta have somebody close that you can be vulnerable with. You can laugh with. You you can have a drink with, and they're not gonna like, you know, choke you out. You know, <laughs> like they're there. You know, and they and they love you. If you were in the ditch, they'd be there, no matter what the situation was. And they know your kids' names and just care about you. So I think that, um, yeah, that and then the youth kids, they think I was like born of a virgin and I have no past. Like I tell my, <laughs> I tell my testimony to these kids sometimes and they're like, you, you did that? <laughs> You're like, sick. Yeah. So I can't, <laughs> you did that? It's like, yeah, man. Like I was once your age. <laughs> I know that I mean, that's the thing is some people like you, you met them as a pastor. So you just assume that like, They've always been holy. Always like, been this way. It's yeah. like, no, like, these guys are imperfect. Like, beat it. And still aren't that way. Right? But that, <laughs> that's, a, that's a thing that like, but that's a great thing about being Cody Wyoming though, is like, there is, I think Cody is a little bit more leans that way though, where um, people don't, they're not quite as pretentious in Cody Wyoming as they are like in the South where like it's very image based and like, you know, all that stuff. Like here it's kind of like, you'll meet like millionaires just walking around cowboy boots with, you know, cow crap all over them. Mm-hmm. And, they're just kind of chill about it. Like it's, nothing's a big deal. And anytime you're trying to act like a big deal, it's kind of really not that cool. Mm-hmm. Um, which I really enjoy that environment here. And then my personality is like I, I always want to breed like community and friendship and laughter and spending time together. So I lean that way more than maybe some pastors do. Um, but being introverted is not an excuse. You need to find somebody that you can just talk to. You you can cut loose with. Like you can sit on the couch and talk about nothing or talk about everything. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. You asked me a different question. I'm I'm putting out recommendations, no. which is kind of weird. But you're good. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just uh, what do you think you wish people knew more about pastors? But I think I think you need to hit the nail on the head. I think a lot of pastors struggle with being in a relationship because it's scary to be known by your congregation, um, mm-hmm. for fear that they won't listen to you as a reputable source anymore. Yeah. When, when it's the opposite. the opposite. Yeah. yeah. Exactly the opposite. Yeah. Which we we talked about this. Like it's the reason why we're attracted to certain pastors that we listen to. Um, <clears throat> some more than others because of their vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Like the way that they preach is like, dude, this guy gets it. Like he knows what it's like to be in the house when your kid's losing his crap and you want to, you're close to killing everybody in your house and starting mm-hmm. over. Yeah. Like he knows what that feels like, you know? And, and that's why when I teach that way, I, I always want people to know like, oh, I could easily reach out and touch this guy. Like I want them to feel that way. And I say something and they're like, oh God, like did, did he, does he know? Like, did he see my life? Like that's crazy. <laughs> like that's great. And so, I always want to preach from a place in life, like if I am preaching, which is my favorite thing to do is, I want to preach from a place like, man, look how this crushes me first and it makes it more attractive. And I get a lot of great feedback from people who are like, man, like I feel like you were speaking right to me. Mm-hmm. The only way you could do that is just being a real person in front of people. And yeah. I think pastors feel that pressure that they can't be a real person. It's like, actually, you more than anybody should know that you can be because yeah. you know the gospel. Exactly. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, Greg, if, if people are <clears throat> impacted by this, want to reach out to you, how can they contact you? Yeah, best way is email. Um, Greg at Cody, C-O-D-Y, C-M as in mother, A as in apple, dot O-R-G, Cody C-M-A dot O-R-G. Email me. I'll get back quick. I'm usually quick about it. So, yeah, I'd love to talk with anybody, work with anybody. And yeah, awesome. take questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Greg. We appreciate it, man. Thanks, Greg. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week to Known. Man, we can't, again, we just cannot tell you enough how much it means to us that you guys actually tune in, that you listen, that you glean, that you give us feedback, uh, that you just tell us some of the stuff that is working and happening in your life because of this little silly clothing company and content company that we created a few years back. It means a lot to us. Uh, This podcast is very much a labor of love, and if you can help us out in any way, shape, or form by leaving a rating, a comment, or anything like that, it helps us more than you know. Guys, go check out CodyCoffee.com and use the code KNOWN for 25% off. It's amazing. My personal favorite right now is the roast that is called Bliss Creek. Uh, I think you guys will really like that too. But hey guys, I hope you have an amazing week. I really hope this speaks to you. I hope you listen to it a couple times, take some notes, glean some advice, and apply the wisdom that's being taught. Because knowledge becomes wisdom when it is applied to your life and when it is lived out. Man, we love you guys. We're so thankful for you. Keep pushing forward. All of the things that were mentioned in the podcast will be in the show notes and the details below. I hope you guys have an awesome week. We're very thankful for you, like I've said about four times now. (laughs) 
We're praying for you guys as you step out into this week and you go and you live the life that you're called to live. Thank you again for listening. We love you guys. Intro and outro song is Intersection by DJ Quads. That's Q-U-A-D-S. You can find him on his YouTube channel and you can find him in the show notes below. Oh, 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 o